We continue in our study of the book of 2 Peter. As we wrap up our uh, study of 1 and 2 Peter that we've been going through in the evening, we've got one more sermon after this in 2 Peter. Um, we're going to be starting a sermon series on the trustworthy sayings of Paul um, that we find in his letters. He often would say, this is a trustworthy saying, worthy of acceptance, and then go on to say something. So we're going to be looking at those trustworthy sayings of Paul following this in the evening services. But we are still looking at Second Peter. We're looking tonight at verses 14 through 16 of Second Peter chapter 3. Starting the reading in verse 8. But do, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire in the earth, and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own. Destruction. Thus for the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers the flower face, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I'd like to look at Lord's Day 22 in the Heidelberg Catechism. You can go to page 29 in the back of the Green Salter Hymnals, and we're going to be looking at Lord's Day 22. And I'd like to do the, the reading of Lord's Day 22. Responsively, so um, I'll answer. I'll ask the questions. You say the answers for me. <coughs> How does the resurrection of the body comfort you? No, Not no, only no, my soul will be taken immediately after this life to Christ, its head, but even my very flesh raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. How does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no man has ever imagined. A blessedness in which to praise God eternally. 
eternally. That's the teaching of our catechism. Now, many of you have probably heard this word, Maranatha. It's found uh, at the uh, end of um, the book of Revelation. Um, it's a Syriac expression that means our Lord comes. Our Lord comes. Um, and it became popular because it was used as a greeting in the early church. When believers gathered or parted, they did not say, hello, goodbye, see you later. No, they would say, Maranatha, Maranatha, Maranatha. And uh, they did this on purpose because they used this greeting as a reminder. As you're walking out of the church today, as you're walking out of the surface, remember, our Lord comes. Remember, our Lord comes. As I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, remember, our Lord comes. Our Lord comes. And if we had the same upward look today, if we had that uh, continued reminder that our Lord is coming again, if we always lived our lives with that revelation, with that reality before us, that our Lord comes, Maranatha, Maranatha, it would revolutionize the church. And so we're praying, we're praying that uh, God's people would have a deepening awareness of the imminent return of the Savior. And that's something that Peter is pushing into his audience through this letter as well. This, uh, this concept that the Christ is coming again, that there is going to be an ultimate end to this current existence, and, uh, and that uh, we ought to be living our lives in light of that. And so... Our theme this morning, or this, not this morning, jeesh. I don't even know what time of day it is, so how would I know if the Lord's coming or not? Our theme this evening is looking forward. To the day of the Lord. Means. Patiently letting God do his work in us and others. We have three points tonight. Peace with him, point number one. Number two, patience. Equals salvation. And number three, Paul's letters. So let's look at that first point. Peace with him. Verse 14. We're covering with this point. Peace with him. Looking forward to the day of the Lord means patiently letting God do his work in us and others. Uh, so, Peter has at this point said, listen, you guys, I understand that you are thinking to yourself, it seems like a lot of time is passing and Christ still hasn't come back. But you don't need to be like the scoffers, right, who think nothing's going to change, that Christ is never going to come back. 
You have to realize that there is going to be a time in which Christ is going to come back. But you have to realize that the time that you are living in now is the time in which God is being patient with you. Because he's, he doesn't want any of us to perish. He wants you to turn and repentance and believe in Jesus Christ. And so that when God comes again and when, when Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead, um, you will not perish. You will not be cast into everlasting judgment and condemnation. But you will be carried on into the place where righteousness dwells, the new heavens and the new earth. And so he then says in a transitional phrase, so then, uh, dearly beloved, so then, beloved of the Lord, dear friends, since you are... Looking forward, right? Looking forward. Looking forward to what? The day of the Lord. If you go and you look up passages in the Old Testament about the day of the Lord, you'll find some very frightening passages. Some passages that talk about judgment and fire. Passages that talk about God coming to destroy his enemies. God coming to crush all these people. If you read the book of Revelation, you see Christ uh, smashing his enemies like grapes uh, underneath his feet. Right? There's this very vivid language. But Peter here is saying, you, believers, this is something you look forward to. Why? You look forward to it because you understand that Christ coming to judge the living and the dead it's not a day of fear. It's not a day of, uh, of uh, judgment for you. It's the day of final salvation. It's the day in which all that's the, the work that, that God has begun in you, he brings to completion. And all that is bad in this world is taken away and all that is good is kept and remains. And because of the miracle of, of Christ's propitiation for our sins, the fact that he died for our sins and he gave us his perfect righteousness, the, 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 the miracle of that transition from all the bad things that are in this world going away to all the good things remaining is that somehow we're part of the thing that remains. Not because of any good in us, but because of Christ. We get to move forward into the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness. We're not righteous. But we get to be forever at the home of righteousness because Christ has not only cleansed us from our sins, but he is sanctifying us, purifying us. And one day that sanctification and purification will be made complete. So, dear friends, you are looking forward to this. You should be like the early Christians who... Who use Maranatha as a greeting. Our Lord is coming. Our Lord is coming. And that is something that encourages us. Bolsters us on. And that's exactly what Peter says. Since you are looking forward to this. Um, this is almost a, a continuation of his thought. Since everything will be destroyed in this way. What kind of people ought you to be? He said you ought to live Holy and godly lives. Well, he gives a little bit more description to what this holy and godly life looks like, right? He says, holy and godly lives are what? Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless. And at peace. With him. 
Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, at peace with him. Um, we talked a little bit about this. Um, what Peter here is saying is not, you have to have a certain quota of righteousness. That when Christ comes to judge the living and the dead, if you don't have that quota of righteousness, if, you don't have, if you're not spotless enough, if you're not blameless enough, that you will not have peace with him. But what he is saying is there is a kind of Christian life that we live before the face of God with the reality knowing that Christ is going to come again to judge the living and the dead that says, when Christ comes again, I want to be found living before him. I want to be found in fellowship with him. I want to be found seeking to live a godly life. That is a motivator for that. Uh, it's not a motivator as a, a motivator by fear that when Christ comes again, you should be afraid that if you're not busy doing uh, God's work, then, then, then you should be, uh, you, you, you'll be embarrassed when Christ comes. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. No, no, it's not like that. It's more like a wife who loves her husband. But her husband is in the military, and he's been on deployment, right? And, and so his wife, knowing that he's about to come home from deployment, what does she do? She cleans the house. She gets everything ready. She wants everything to be the way that, that he would like it to be because when he comes home, she wants to, him to know how much she loves him, how much she cares for him, how much she's been waiting for him to come back so that when he gets there, he can say, this is the place I want to be. This is where I, I belong. And, and, and if we are the bride of Christ, then we should desire that as well, that when Christ comes again, we would be like that, that loving bride that, that wants her husband to be proud when he arrives. Because we love him. Because we love him, we want to be prepared for his arrival. Even knowing it could come at any point, we want to be ready. You think Peter doesn't know that we already have peace with God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You, you, don't, you don't think Peter under, understands that, that Paul's gospel teaches that we are at peace with God through, through Christ Jesus our Lord? That is the gospel. Peter understands that. Peter also knows that there may be Christians who float under the radar, who profess faith, but who are not truly converted, not truly saved. And do you not think that a warning about the second coming of Christ is meant to be something that provokes them? To say, am I really truly in Christ, united to him? That's important because there's going to be a day of reckoning, a day of judgment. And so do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? 
Need I remind you, you do not find peace with God by making yourself spotless and blameless. No. Peter is saying, go to the spotless one, the blameless one, Jesus Christ. In him, all your spots are taken away. In him, all your shame is taken away. Make sure you have peace with God through Jesus Christ before Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead. There is nothing more important than that. Nothing more important than that. So looking forward to the day of the Lord means patiently letting God do his work in us. That means God is working in us. Whatever is pleasing to him. Do you think that you are the one that says, I'm going to make myself more spotless. I'm going to make myself more holy and godly as we seek to look towards the day of the Lord coming in the future. I'm going to be the one that makes sure I'm at peace with God. No, you surrender yourself more and more to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. To the work of salvation that Christ has begun in you and his promise will bring to completion. So, let's then look at that second point together. Patience equals salvation. This is verse 15a. Patience equals salvation. And Peter continues, bear in mind, he says, bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation. So bear in mind means um, keep this in your thoughts. As you are uh, worried about how long it seems that it is that the Lord is tarrying, that the Lord is waiting, right? Um, It is natural for Christians to look at the things that are going on in this world, the hardships and the difficulties, the people who are dying in civil wars and unrest, the persecution of the church, um, the evil wickedness going on in our nation, uh, the millions of deaths and abortion, and to say, God, why have you not come? Why have you not stopped all this? Why have you not sent Jesus Christ? And let's just wrap this thing up, right? And if Peter's audience in the first century were thinking that, what do you think that people in the second century, in the third century, in the fourth century, in the fifth century, in the sixth century, in the seventh century, in the eighth century, skip a few 21st century? We're still in the 21st century, right? Yeah. What do they got to be thinking? Why? Is it taking so long? Why is it taking so long? Well, Peter wants to press this message into his audience. It's something he's already talked about before in this passage. But it's so important that he wants to add another note about it. Remember what he said to his friends. Don't think the Lord looks at everything that's going on the same way that you do. The the Lord does not experience the passing of time as we do. For the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day, right? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. We think that the Lord is being slow because in the first century, Christ came, died, resurrected, and ascended and stood at the right hand of the Father. And it's been a lot of hundreds of years since then. 
right? 2,000 some years. And so we feel like the Lord is being slow in keeping his promise of the coming, right? Verse 4, they will say, where is the coming, this coming that he promised? We feel that the Lord is being slow in this. But what did Peter say then? He said he is being patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so he says this again. In verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Um, this reminds me of, of something that is said in uh, Romans. And I think it's important that we take note of this because um, Paul speaks of the wrath of God being revealed against all humanity who have turned who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and even though they know God is there, they, they turn to all this wickedness, right? Um, and then in the second chapter, this is what he says. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Paul is saying, you're, you're religious people. You have the law of God, right? And you want to point at these Gentiles who are doing all these wicked things and, and pursuing all this idolatry and they've given themselves over to these um, unnatural sexual desires, right? But listen, they don't have the law. You have the law. And even though you have the law, you still do the same things. You are still a sinner. You are still a breaker of God's law. But then in verse 4 he says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not really realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. That's um, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. God's kindness leads to repentance. And what's Paul saying? Paul is saying that God created this world. And that God has every right to be like Thanos and snap his fingers and it's all done. If you don't know what that reference is, it's to the Marvel movies. You know, you go check it out. But anyways, basically Thanos is this bad guy who snaps his finger and half of the, the people in the entire universe die. Boom. Dissolve. Sorry, spoiler. <laughs> but God has that right. God could say no more. God could at any moment say, that's enough. But he doesn't. And what's the reason why he doesn't? Because each day that God allows for this world to go on and for people to be born and people to be given in marriage... Each day that God allows for wicked human beings to write horrible laws and try to get them passed in the Illinois House. Uh, Illinois House. 
Each day that God allows another baby to be aborted is a day that God is also allowing someone to turn from their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. God is showing his kindness and his patience because he is forbearing all that is wrong with this world so that there will be time for people to be saved in Jesus Christ. There will be time for people to be saved in Jesus Christ. That's why Peter says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. The reason why God seems to be slow, as we understand slowness, the reason why it seems to us that God is tearing you is because God is showing his kindness by withholding judgment while all the number of the elect come in, while all the sheep which Christ died for believe and turn to him and receive forgiveness of sins and perfect righteousness. Patience means salvation. And I think a lot about that word that Paul says in Romans 2, 4, God's kindness leads to repentance because um, I think a lot about the way that I struggle as a parent, as a father. A lot of times when I see my children doing things uh, that I, I find disrespectful or, um, or upsetting, what happens in me is I get angry. And I express this anger in the voice that I have when I'm talking to them and I'm saying things to them, right? And I'm telling them, you need to stop doing this. This is not okay. This is disrespectful. Don't talk back to me like that. La, 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 right? I do that. And in essence, what I'm teaching them is important, right? The fact that they need to honor their parents the fact that they need to be respectful and listen to what I'm saying, and the fact that it's not okay to speak to their mother that way, or whatever it is, right? But at heart, at the heart, the way that I'm communicating it does not show love, does not show forbearance or patience. And this is a good reason why I'm not God. Because if I were God, y'all would have had the wrath poured out on you a long time ago. But because God is God, he understands that the way that people come to repentance is not by yelling at them, but it's showing love and kindness by forbearing their sins. And giving them time to come to their senses. It's expressing in the way that he communicates his love toward them. Patience equals salvation. So let's, let's not waste it. Let's use the time that we have to declare to others and to ourselves that this is the day of salvation. This is the day 
to turn from our sins and believe in Jesus Christ. And uh, take advantage of each day that the Lord has made given to us for this purpose. Now, what might seem like a, a bit of a sharp turn is that Peter then turns to this topic about Paul's letters. Um, he says, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with wisdom that God gave him. Um, now, there's a number of letters that we have that speak about end times from Paul. We got First and Second Thessalonians. We have First uh, Corinthians, uh, particularly in verse fifteen or chapter fifteen. Uh, we have a number of other places in which Paul speaks about this reality of the end times. And, and Peter makes reference to this here because Peter is also um, pointing to the fact that not only am I teaching you this, that, that bear in mind that the, as the Lord waits, that his patience means salvation. It equals salvation for others. It means equal salvation for us and salvation for others. It equals time for God to do his work patiently in us as we wait and in others, right? Uh, but Paul also talks about this in his letters. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you, with the wisdom that God gave him, right? Um, and then Peter goes on to say, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. What are these matters? These matters of the end times. These matters of the way that all things are going to be wrapped up in Christ. These matters that per pertaining to the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. These are the matters that Paul speaks of. And we could go to a number of these places where Paul talks about this, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, where Paul is dealing also with people's confusion about these things, and he's writing these details, and, and, and I will be honest with you, um, there are some things that are confusing in the, in the things that Paul writes about these. And, of course, Peter agrees. He says his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. His letters contain some things which are hard to understand. And Peter almost seems to indicate that there is a, a, a reality that some people, maybe the false teachers he was talking about previously in this letter, would use these confusing teachings of Paul um, to distort them and create false teachings, right? It says his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people, ignorant and unstable people, these uh, seem like um, uh, a reference back to the false teachers that he was talking about, right? Ignorant and unstable people distort. They distort these teachings. They use these confusing uh, parts of Paul's letters about the end times and, and they, uh, they distort them and they use them to propagate a false teaching. Uh, they use Paul's authority and Paul's trustworthiness and, and manipulate uh, the teaching uh, to put forward a false teaching in the church. And this, uh, they do this as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Now, the interesting uh, note that I want to make about here is that some people often wonder whether if uh, the New Testament writers, those who were writing the New Testament 
um, Gospels, the New Testament, the letters and epistles, um, had a, an acknowledgement that what they were writing was inspired. Um, did they know that they were writing inspired scripture, God-breathed scripture? Or did they just write letters to churches and then they'd be surprised to find out that, they, that their letters are bound in books um, today and people honor them as uh, God's very own word, right? Well, listen. Listen to the way Peter speaks of Paul's writings, right? He says, Paul writes the same way in all his letters, speaking unto them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures. So Peter puts on the same pedestal scriptures, the other scriptures, and Paul's letters. He says they're one and the same. They're kind of, they're of the same kind. They're of the same type. And so Peter understands that Paul's letters are inspired. And he's saying, just like other inspired writings, they are distorting Paul's letters as well. Just like the other scriptures, they're distorting Paul's letters. And so there is a sense in which um, Peter here expresses to us that there was some sort of understanding about the role that the apostles were playing in the New Testament church. So they, they, were, uh, they understood that their role in the sense was to propagate and to preserve the, the teaching of Jesus Christ into future generations. And that there was a, some sense of an understanding that what they were writing was uh, to be put on the same um, place as scriptures. At least Peter seems to indicate that he viewed Paul's writings in the same light as he viewed other scriptures. But here at the end of this, Peter says, to their own destruction. So the other place that we find this reference to destruction, right, is to the false teachers. So Peter seems to indicate that there are false teachers who take what seem to be less clear teachings in the Bible, in the scriptures, and they distort them, right, to propagate a false teaching, gather a following, and they do this uh, to their own destruction. The, the judgment is going to come for them um, uh, because of this. Um, and like I've said before, you'll notice that if you, if you watch uh, a lot of heretical sects, if you watch a lot of um, uh, heretical uh, faiths like the Mormons, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, like um, the People's Nation with Jim, uh, like all of these, these, these um, a big following uh, heretical um, religions have, they typically revolve around starting initially by somebody who had a view of the end times, a particularly unique or new view of the end times. Right? So as it surprises us, then that Peter says, one way that false teachers seek to manipulate and control people is by propagating a, a particularly unique and new view of the end times in order to control people. And Peter says, don't get swept up in this. Don't do that. Uh, what I am saying to you is the same as what Paul has wrote, written in some of his letters. Um, and the reality is, that's all we need to know. Um, 
While on a South Pole expedition, British explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton left a few men on Elephant Island, promising that he would return. And later when he tried to go back, huge icebergs blocked the way. But suddenly, as if by a miracle, an avenue opened in the ice and Shackleton was able to get through. His men, ready and waiting, quickly scrambled aboard. No sooner had the ship cleared the island than the ice crashed together behind them. And when they were contemplating their narrow escape, the explorer said to his men, It was fortunate you were all packed and ready to go. They replied, We never gave up hope. Whenever the sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags and reminded each other, The boss may come today. The hymn writer, Horatius Bonar, exhorted us, to be ready for the last moment by being ready at every moment, attending to every duty that, let him come when he may, he finds the house in perfect order, awaiting his return. The trump may sound any time. How important for us as Christians to be packed and ready to go. Maybe as you leave the service tonight, or maybe... As you uh, see each other on another day, don't say goodbye. Maybe don't say hello. Say Maranatha. Our Lord comes as a reminder to us all to be packed and ready to go. Because today, the boss may come. As we look forward to the day of the Lord, we patiently let God do his work in us and others. Amen. We pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this great and wonderful truth that you are being patient with us. We pray, Lord, that we would not take for granted the days that you've given us, the days ahead that you may give us in the future. We pray each day, Lord, that we would be living before your face, living before the reality that the coming of our Lord and Jesus Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be like a thief in the night where all things will be made new and all that is wrong in this world will be dealt with and all that is good and righteous will remain and Lord we will go away to be with you we pray that we would know the comfort of the resurrection of the body and the comfort of life everlasting it's in Jesus name we pray Amen. Will you stand and sing with me when the world...